Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. The season got off to a disappointing start as the Revs fell 2-1 to the Montreal Impact on Saturday. Teal Bunbury scored the first goal of the season off a Christian Pena cross in the 13th minute, but goals off of a corner kick and a half volley for the Impact brought them back from behind to win the game and the Maple Syrup Derby. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today for the first time in 2020 is Sean Donahue. Sean, how's it going? I mean, it was a tough weekend for New England sports with that Celtics shocking game where they went into overtime and then lost and then my spurs had a terrible performance this morning uh so overall not a good sporting weekend for me but yeah and unless unless you're a friars fan too i think uh new england has had a bit of a rough weekend too and um you know also on that kind of depressing theme of new england sports the red sox season is starting uh so it's the beginning of a uh, depressing season for them uh hopefully not the beginning of a depressing season for the revs obviously off to a really bad start this was a, a winnable game uh as seth and i talked about uh on thursday Sean, what was your key takeaway from this match in Montreal? Yeah, you know, it was interesting before going into the week. I think um, somebody on Twitter had asked for Rev's predictions, and Tom Benedetto from the Boston Sports Journal posted two predictions, one of which was um, if Carly's heel is available for more than 25 games, I think he said they're going to be in the you know the top half of the playoff picture, and if, they, if he misses more than, you know, 10 games or something that the revolution are going to you know be one of the bottom seeds going into the playoffs and you know I, I agreed with that before the game and watching this game I agree with that even more um with Carlos heel out I think the revolution kind of played a, a different style than what we were used to seeing uh, them do under Bruce Arena last year they really seeded possession and kind of played as a as a counter-attacking team you know the offense with with heel on the field kind of flows through him and you know he's kind of counted on to be the creative force and they asked Gustavo Bo to be more of that in this game and you know at, at times he did okay with it but I don't think he was involved enough you know his biggest contributions in this game I thought came on set pieces in which uh, I was pleasantly surprised with his service um, you know filling in for Carly's heel there I thought he did pretty good with the the indirect free kicks where he was trying to put crosses in rather than trying to, to shoot on goal and um, you know led to some dangerous chances that way but but overall I thought the offense was really missing a guy in Carly's heel you look at who was out there you know Teal Bunbury kind of playing playing as a left mid which was an interesting tactic with Pania playing on the right both of them kind of doing an inverted winger type thing and at times it worked, but you know those are both guys that really thrive on the counterattack and not so much in possession. Um, and I think that's what led to Bruce Arena kind of playing more of a counterattacking style. And it didn't lead to that many good chances outside of set pieces. Um, and I just think this Revolution offense without Carlos Heel is is a bit predictable. Um, you know, other than you know better better job on set pieces this game. So that's where I think Carlos Heel really comes into play. Is he's a guy that can create something out of nothing and really make the offense tick. And they they miss that in this game. Um, and you know if he's out for more than a game or two, I think the Revolution are going to struggle without him because you, you know you look at the defense in this game and I think the Revolution defense still isn't good enough to win them games. It's going to be the offense that you know wins them games this year. And you know maybe Matt Turner will win them a few games like he did last year. But um, if we're you know talking about the, the performance in this game, I didn't think he had the best performance. Uh, so yeah, my, my takeaway here is that if the Revolution don't have Carly's heel for an extended period of time, it's it's going to be a long and tough start to the season and he'll play it almost every minute last season I, I mentioned the other day that i'm not really sure what this team looks out looks like without carlos heel because uh, they played all of 2019 with him 
in, in the game pretty much I think all but eight minutes or something like that um, so yeah the, there was some uh, growing pains there and even Bruce Arena said at halftime he said he wanted Christian Pena to get the ball get a little bit faster you could kind of tell they were, were hoping to get some chances on the counterattack and I don't know if it was the turf, but Christian Pena seemed a little bit off. He, he did create some chances, but it seemed like the counterattack was a little bit slow. There was one play where um, Teal Bunbury kind of has an interception, and him and Gustavo Bo never really get on the same page, and Bo gets a shot off, but it's it's not as good as it should have been. Um, I'll ask you this, Sean, because I, I think one of the uh, big effects on the game was the turf. Do you blame the turf at all for the counterattack being um, a little bit slow, or do you think Carly's heel was just missed that much? You know, I do think the turf was terrible and almost led to a few injuries, but I don't think we can blame it on the, the Revolution counterattack being slow. Um, yes, it is different turf than they have at Gillette, but, uh, you know, you look at kind of the play you, you brought up, the Teal Bunbury player where he stole the ball, and um, I don't think you can blame that on turf. I think it was a too late of a pass from Teal Bunbury, and also that boat kind of made a run that kind of got into his way. Um, so I just think the offensive chemistry wasn't there, especially with Heal out there. You know, you talked about Gustavo Bo and, and Adam Buxa in preseason and, and kind of how, how they connected there. Um, that connection we didn't see as much in this game. Um, and, you know, Bo and Carles Heal had a great connection last season and that developed really quickly. Um, but the chemistry definitely wasn't there in this game for me. And it, it, it was interesting that you played Bunbury kind of in a position that he's not familiar with playing very often on the left and Pania in a position he's not really familiar with playing on the right. Um, and, you know, oddly enough, both of them, I think, had a little bit of success at least once or twice with a, a cross on their weaker foot, um, which I didn't expect to see. But I'm not sure that's something that we can expect to see often this season. I, you know, the, the assists actually in this game came from Pania's right foot on a cross. And, you know, Bunbury also put in a dangerous left-footed cross. Um, but I think those are more fluke plays than what we can expect going forward. And, um, you know, both of those guys playing counterattacking styles and kind of cutting inside you know, limited the effectiveness of a guy like Adam Buxa, who's so good in the air, uh, running towards goal. And we didn't get to see too much of that from him outside of set pieces. Um, and again, Carly's heel is another guy that's great at crossing the ball in, in the run of play. And I think he was missed for, for Buxa in this one, as well as for Gustavo Bo, who plays so well off of him. Yeah. And Gustavo Bo, uh, I, I want to bring up really quickly. Uh, you mentioned that Bo kind of took over Carly's heels role uh, and tried to, uh, kind of make the engine run a little bit. Um, he did have five key passes. He led the Revs in key passes in this game, but a pass accuracy of 65.5%. Obviously, you'd expect a little bit from Carly's heel. So Bo did a, a pretty decent job and still created some chances, was still pretty heavily involved, but I think you'll, you'd, or heel, you'd have a little bit more um, efficiency. Um, while we're talking about Christian Pini on the right side, I wanted to get your thoughts on if you expect to see that going throughout the rest of the season. And if you, I personally like him kind of as that right, midfielder right winger he had two shots one on target two key passes 70.6 percent pass accuracy 39 touches uh he was dispossessed four times uh but two for five on crosses including that assist he had a two or sorry he had a 6.7 rating according to who scored um kind of a jackal on high performance Pania. some some plays were very very frustrating uh where he he seemed to be a little bit slow and not very smooth uh but did create uh, an assist, uh, did seem to be a key part of the offense for the Revs yesterday. Um, what do you think about Christian Pena on the right side? Yeah, I liked it, and I liked it, you know, given the style the Revolution were playing. I thought it, I thought it worked to have him there, again, in that counterattacking style where he cut inside and get a shot off. Um, I thought he looked pretty dangerous, and I, you know, again, was surprised to see him get a right foot across, and that worked. Um, Long term, though, I think when, when Carles Heel is available, I think you see Carles Heel perhaps play more on that right side and be a guy that can cut inside and play in the center um, in that Pania role. And then you see Pania back on the left. I don't think it's going to be a long-term solution if, if Heal's available. I don't 
know that it makes sense to have two guys out on that side that are more comfortable on the or even if you know heels in the middle i don't think it makes sense to have those two guys out there um kind of playing that role uh so i I do think it's a temporary fix but i did think you know when you're playing the style and when it's less about possession more about counterattacking, um it makes some sense to have pania in that role where you can cut inside and get a shot off and bunbury in that role where you can cut inside and get a shot off um even though bunbury despite his nice goal in this game isn't always the the best finisher in situations like that and um, moving on, we'll go to my key takeaway this game, which is that Wilfred Zahibo needs to be starting pretty much every game, at least for the near-term future. Um, he had one shot that was off target, but he also had that goal taken away uh, around the 70th minute. Uh, about 90% pass accuracy. He had three tackles, which led the Revs, even though he played 45 minutes. He was two for three on long balls. Um, he had a 6.23 who scored rating, but I think he was much more efficient, and that also kind of reflects the 45 minutes played from Wilfred Zahibo. Um, I thought the Revs, despite not scoring in that second half, they, they seemed a little bit more solid, a little bit more stable in the second half with Wilfred Zahibo out there. And, um, you know, he's a defensive player. He kind of anchors that defensive midfield, but he still has some pretty decent distribution. And, you know, I, I, we'll get to why Scott Caldwell and Diego Fagunda started in a minute. But, um, I mean, we talk about Luis Caicedo. Uh, obviously, I, I'm a big Luis Caicedo fan. Uh, I think Wilfred Zahibo, how he played towards the end of last season and how he played yesterday, I, I think you got to keep him in the central midfield because that's such a weakness for this team right now he just seems to be the most solid stable player uh out of that group between scott caldwell diego fagundes um and, and luis caicedo so i'm not totally sure why those that they they rolled with that um pairing of caldwell and fagundes but uh, i think wilford zahibo certainly made a lot of positive contributions and I, I certainly would be shocked to see him not start uh this saturday against chicago yeah, I, I agree with you. And you look at the flip side of that, and that's Scott Caldwell, who had zero tackles, zero interceptions, and zero clearances. Um, you know, didn't really contribute that much in this game. I think he had 18 touches in the first half, which is not really a, a Scott Caldwell-like performance. You know, you know, I'm someone that defends Caldwell more than others, but I didn't think he put in a good showing at all. And um, Zahibo played much better when he came on. So I was, you know, very surprised to see the. We can, again, we'll talk more about Caldwell and Fagundes later, but just that that pairing out there was surprising to me. And I think I agree that Zahibo, um, who I thought got a lot better under Bruce Arena in the second half of last season, uh, didn't start this game um, and. You know, also he has that height out there that when you have Caldwell, Fagundes, Kellen Rowe, you know, Lewis Caicedo, these are all short players filling in that center midfield role. Um, Zahibo's the one guy out there that actually provides some height, which is to me pretty important in that defensive midfield role, especially if you're going to be kind of playing a counterattacking style and um, inviting pressure on you to have somebody that can win those balls in the air. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a good point and kind of a shock to everyone that was watching this game that Zahibo, um, you know, didn't play in, in the central midfield pairing ended up being Scott Caldwell and Diego Fagundes. Yeah, and, you know, Caldwell did have 88% pass accuracy. He did have one very nice long ball over the top to Christian Pena that Pena just could not handle with the, the, the weird turf it looked like. It looks like the ball kind of got lost in his legs and he wasn't able to kind of take it in stride. But, yeah, 18 touches from Scott Caldwell. He kind of just vanished. Um, and in the few performances we saw last year against Atlanta, against Portland, Scott Caldwell, I think he played pretty well, actually, in Portland in that last game. But in the Atlanta game, he was pretty invisible also. He didn't seem to get the ball a lot. And he had half the touches as Zahibo had in the second half. Um, no tackles, as he said, no clearances. He was dis dispossessed once. Um, so, yeah, really ineffective week uh, uh, half from Caldwell. And, you know. I kind of expect him to be the guy coming off of the bench, uh, but he, he got a chance the other day, uh, Saturday, and 
I don't think he took advantage of it. Fagundes, on the other hand, 62 touches, uh, 90% pass accuracy, one key pass, dispossessed four times. He did have two tackles and two interceptions and was 10 for 13 on long balls, according to who scored, which is, I was kind of surprised at that stat. Uh, but me too. Um, <laughs> overall seemed really he had a tough time with the turf it looked like he wasn't really he wasn't reading the ball at all so I'm, I'm gonna give him a little bit of a pass but also on the whole seemed a little bit ineffective didn't you think no i, I agree i was actually kind of shocked to to go to who score and see his stats after the game that he led the team along with brandon by and touches um i certainly don't remember him having 62 touches i think he also led the team in passes um None of those were memorable to me, except for, you know, he had a lot of passes that were too short for, for guys. And um, the fact that he finished with 90% passing accuracy was surprising to me. Um, he was another guy that, despite the fact that he somehow loved the team in touches, I didn't think was involved enough. And, you know, but he did have opportunities to do things going forward. I don't think he was good enough. That, you know, late in the game, that the ball fell to him. And instead of trying to one-timer or, you know, going to the right to get a shot off he cut left and dribbled into out of a dangerous position into a position where the revolution kind of lost a good chance to attack um so yeah i was very underwhelmed with diego Fagundes' performance and very shocked that this was the guy that bruce arena went with in game one to kind of play as a central you know almost a defensive midfielder in the role he was playing um and i just don't think he did enough nor did caldwell do enough and uh both those guys if if players are healthy i'd be surprised to see starting regularly in those roles going forward um yeah it, it was the quietest 62 touch performance i think i've ever seen we did get a, a question from zach on twitter is this the resurgence of resurgence of diego fagundes uh finally happening as a box-to-box midfielder um i guess kind of similar as a juan agadello role that we saw last year where juan agadello dropped back into the central midfield and was paired with a wilfred zahibo or luis caicedo um what do you think do we expect to see diego fagundes kind of play central midfield when we do see him this year i mean i'm not really sure where else he's gonna play i think um when carlos heel is, is healthy you know, he's maybe the the fourth choice on the wing behind, you know, Pania, Bunbury, and Carles Heel, and you know, maybe even Rivera moves up ahead of him in that role. I don't know, um, but yeah, I guess if there's injuries, you could see him play on the left for Pania. But I just don't know that there's going to be that many minutes for Fagundes out there. And if his performances at central midfield are like his performance in this game, um, you know, I, I don't know that we're going to see him out there that much. I just, I, I don't see him in that role, uh, particularly when he's playing next to a, you know, an already undersized central midfielder and a Scott Caldwell or a Lewis Caicedo or, you know, a Kellen Rowe. Um, and on that note, I was shocked if, you know, if Kellen Rowe is not going to play in this game, either on off the bench or starting, then why is Kellen Rowe on the roster? No, I agree with you 100%. And yeah, I, I would have thought, I think we mentioned the other day that we kind of expected Kellen Rowe to uh, make an impact on this game, but um, 0 for 1, unused substitution uh, this week. Um, yeah, uh, really, well, and we have another question here from Revolution Report. Why was Scott Caldwell, Diego Fagundes, the starting midfield? Charlie Davies did make a, a point at halftime where he kind of said, um, you know, I think he expected Caldwell to kind of be the uh, defensive midfielder to kind of stay back and, and help defensively, but he was so ineffective. Diego Fagundes had to drop back a little bit more, and by putting in Wilfred Zahibo, it allowed Diego to be a little bit more free uh, to roam and, and push up forward. Um, but what that what was the basis behind that pairing? I'm not really sure, and I, th- I think we've kind of hit that home. Uh, do you have any reason to why Scott Caldwell, Diego Fagundes, was the starting midfield with the options available? Honestly, if I were to guess who the starters are going to be going into this game, I think I would have gotten everything right except both of those central midfielders. I probably would have guessed would have been Zahibo and, and Kellen Rowe, even though Kellen Rowe didn't have a great preseason. Um, I don't know what 
Bruce Arena was thinking there. Uh, tactically, it just doesn't make any sense to me to have played those two in this game, especially knowing you're going to kind of play a counterattacking style against a Montreal team looking to to attack in their season opener under Thierry Henry. Um, it was it was a surprising move to me, and it was very ineffective. I thought. Um, so yeah, to me, there's no rational explanation for it. it you know, I, I guess with Fagundes, you're kind of hoping to maybe keep possession more and have him more as a facilitator. Um, but it, it just he didn't seem, you know, for as accurate as his passing statistics were, he just didn't seem that comfortable in that role and didn't really seem to be uh, using it to create to spring good attacks or anything. His passing was kind of square and, and not so good at. I wish he had the passing charts that we usually have from stat zones. But we don't have those, but it struck me yeah, as. Yeah, I, I was just about to say, I wish we had a passing chart. <laughs> yeah. From stat- they haven't updated their app to include 2020 MLS games. So, um, yeah, it's annoying. And and I'm not sure if I think Fagundes is a better facilitator than Kellen Rowe at this point. Granted, we haven't seen Kellen Rowe in a Revs uniform in over a year. But I, I, I don't know. Diego has really, really struggled um, kind of adjusting that central midfield role. I didn't really like him in that role last year, too. And I don't know. I really overall struggled. But Well, the, th- uh, the thing is, Rowe really struggled in preseason, and he really struggled for Salt Lake, and he really struggled for Kansas City since he left the Revs. <laughs> but this all kind of goes back to, you know, how good was this offseason for the revolution? And outside of Buxa, I'm not sure it was a good offseason for the revolution because, you know, you're left with a bunch of central midfielders who are mediocre. Um, and you're left with a guy like Diego Fagundes, who doesn't necessarily have a role in this team except playing out of position, um, but still might be better at that role than Kellen Rowe, who is supposed to be, who's that supposed to be his position and you signed in the offseason. Um, so, I, you know, I think the revolution left themselves with a lot of weaknesses on this team in the offseason and didn't do enough to solidify things behind those, you know, front four or five guys. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think we, I was certainly worried about the back line um, going into the season. I think central midfield, just after one performance, I, I don't, I don't want to jump to conclusions too, too much, but central midfield really, really let the team down. And I know there were a few things going against them. It's a road game. It's bad turf. Uh, you know, Luis Caicedo was unavailable. So maybe you give him a little bit of, you know, maybe if Luis Caicedo, if, if it's Diego and Luis Caicedo in this game, maybe it's a little bit better. Uh, maybe Luis Caicedo is a little bit more effective than Scott Caldwell. Uh, but overall, you can't be too encouraged that they had that performance out there today. Um, we did get one more question uh, or comment on Diego. John Pilkington said Diego was rough today, as was Buxa. Uh, hopefully just some first game rust, but I'd rather not see Diego out there again. Uh, so John not really liking Diego Fagundes in the midfield. Um, let's head over to Buxa. Uh, two shots, one on target off of – actually, it was a pretty nice header off of a corner. He did have one key pass, five aerials run, one, but only 37 touches was pretty invisible throughout the game. He was dispossessed once. He had six bad touches, according to who scored. No one else in the Revs with more than two. Uh, he also had four fouls. Uh, overall, a pretty average game, uh, 6.6 who scored rating. Uh, Sean – Again, don't want to jump to conclusions too, too much, but give your first impressions of Adam Buxa. Yeah, I think the hope going into this game, especially with Carlos Heel out, was that you'd see a lot of Buxa getting the ball, maybe a long ball is over the top. They would hold up and, and play out to Bo, who could you know, launch a shot on goal. And we didn't really see that in this game. I thought Buxa, when he was facing goal, looked really dangerous. He had, you know, he had that header. He had a, another shot that I think was just wide. I can't remember if it was touched or not. Um, you know, When he had chances at to, to run at goal, he looked dangerous. But he didn't get many of those chances. And when he had chances to kind of hold up the ball, I didn't think he looked particularly great at that and playing that kind of facilitator role. Um, and, you know, even on the defensive set piece that the Revs conceded their first goal, he, you know, he was partly at fault for that one for not attacking the ball there. Um, so, you know, I think it was a mixed bag for Buxa. I think he'll benefit a lot 
from Carly's heel being back. Um, but if the hope was that Adam Buxa would be a you know good holdup striker, I don't think we saw a lot of that in this game. Um, and that perhaps is, is, is a bit troubling, especially if the Revolution are going to play the style that they played against Montreal. Um, you know, with that said, he's 23, and I think it is too soon to jump to conclusions. But I would definitely rate his performance a, a mixed bag in this one. Uh, yeah, 58% pass accuracy from Buxa. Not a not an amazing debut. Certainly no uh, Carlos Heel or Gustavo Bo debut, which were uh, amazing uh, in 2019. So a little bit of a letoff, but again, one game. And, and the other thing too is they're also missing Alexander Butner, who you know if he's able to provide some pretty decent service, I think Buxa is uh, really good in the air. And as I say, five aerial aerials won. Um, there are some positives to take from this game. He just was on lockdown pretty much. Uh, Montreal played a pretty pretty defensive set. Um, they seemed pretty locked down in the back, and yeah, he, he just didn't really have a whole lot of opportunities uh, and chances created for him uh, to make a good first impression. Yeah, um, I, I, I think he was most dangerous on set pieces, as you point out. And the one thing I just wanted to go back to was you, we talked about Gustavo Bo earlier. You mentioned he had five key passes. Uh, two of those were on corner kicks and two of those were on free kicks. So he only had one that was actually in the run of play, um, which, you know, if he's playing the Carles heel role or, you know, expected to take up the Carles heel creativity, you know, one key pass from the run of play isn't isn't a great stat where five key passes on paper looks nice. Um, the Revolution were most dangerous in this game on set pieces and in the run of play, they didn't create that much. Yeah, very, very choppy offensive performance overall. Uh, Mike Kennedy asks, is Buxa the new JFC? Sean? That that seems a little harsh, uh, but I think he looks more the, the part than JFC did. Um, and, but, you know, the comparison, if there is one, is... You know, that JFC maybe wasn't the best in his hold-up play, and Buxa in this game didn't look the best in his hold-up play. Um, with that said, I think, you know, we saw a lot of good things from Buxa in this game, um, particularly his heading ability off of set pieces. The Revolution looked a lot more dangerous on set pieces in this game, partly because Gustavo Bo put in good service, but um, in large part because Buxa looked dangerous consistently um, when the ball was heading in his direction, you know, winning those headers, um, which is the kind of the, the flip side. The Revolution looked really poor defensively on set pieces, but um, and that hasn't changed from prior years, but uh, you know, I think there's a, a, a lot of promise in Anabuksa. There's a lot of areas that you want to see him improve on based on this game. But again, he's just 23. Um, I think there's a lot more reason to be excited about him than there was about you know JFC, who was you know, about to turn 30 or however old he was, and uh, was kind of a journeyman. And his you know running style looked awkward, and um, you know sometimes he showed flashes, but otherwise. Uh, he, he was invisible. I, I do think the revolution can expect more from Buxa. Um, but I do also kind of get why after one game, there are some reasons why that comparison doesn't, isn't too far off base. Yeah. I, and I think Buxa does a little bit more than, uh, Caicedo two last year, where I think Caicedo two, I mean, the way I put it all last year is the less he touches the ball, the better you want to kind of just give him some service and he can one touch it into the net, um, and not really expect him to do some other stuff. Whereas Buxa seems like more of a complete player, more of a complete forward. Um, I, I think the better comparison is, and I'm going to credit a casual fan on Twitter, probably not his real name, but he made the comparison of Buxa to Kai Kamara, where, um, if the team, you know, Kai Kamara was I don't want to call him a failure, but he didn't really live up to his potential in New England because he wasn't getting great service. And I think Buxa might be um, another player that struggles if he doesn't have a Bootner in the lineup to send in some crosses from the left wing. Um, if Brandon By and Bootner are able to send some crosses in and he's able to use his aerial ability, I think he's going to score goals. Whereas Juan Fernando Caicedo really was a one-dimensional player. I think Buxa has the ability to, um, you know, have some pretty accurate shots through his feet and he's able to 
you know, play on the wings. He's able to use his head. Um, he, he's just more of a complete player overall. And so I, I'd, I'd say Kai Kamara is a little bit more of a better comparison if we're going to make this comparison after one game. Um, so I, I still have hope that he's going to have a fantastic season for the Revs. No, you make a good point. And I think with, with Butner out there and with Carlos Hill out there, and, you know, maybe we'll get to this later, but I think if Dewan Jones gets a chance to play on the right, um, there'll be a lot more service going into to Buxa. And going forward, he could be a huge impact player for the Revolution. Well, actually, let's hop right into that because I don't have this written down, but I actually have a different take, which is that Brandon Bike and Cross now. Brandon Bike and Cross, isn't he the right back? I mean, we've seen a couple of good crosses from him, but overall. And that Jagon cross was great. Sure, but he also finished the game with 58% passing accuracy. He was one of the worst passers in MLS last year, and uh, going into this game, he was had a similar, similarly terrible passing accuracy. Um, you know, if he can consistently put in a good cross, maybe, but. I think we've still only seen you know one or two good crosses from him based on preseason sure. in this game. Uh, I, I liked a lot what Dewan Jones did at left back and the pace that he has to to get forward and really attack um, can be really really dangerous. And we know he's a guy that in college was you know played out on the right a lot uh, as a right footed player. And I think if you saw him on the right and even what we saw in you know limited preseason minutes, he could be really really dangerous there. Um, so if you know if, if Butner or Snovic. Um, wins that left back spot i still think dewan jones could be a much more dangerous option than than brandon by okay that kind of goes back to a question that seth and i discussed because dewan jones and brandon by does look like a bit of a competition for that right back spot and they bring a couple of different things but um as, as i say i think if brandon by can cross that's a game changer that brandon by is a much more appealing right back to me um than he was last season where he could gri- drive in some low crosses but he, he couldn't put the ball in the air um that that cross to tayon buchanan was uh, perfect on a dime uh and if he can if if he can cross i mean it, it's the revs are much more dangerous so um we have one more person to talk about uh that had a pretty decent debut i'd say uh henry kessler started uh, at center back which was kind of expected at this point with the injuries and how well he played in preseason uh 76 pass accuracy one aerial one 43 touches uh he did have one bad touch but one tackle three interceptions three clearances and a block shot uh sean what are your first impressions of the rookie yeah, so I was really impressed with his performance overall. Um, I thought he looked calm, collected. Was you know generally was smart with making passes out of the back. Um, my one knock on him is the same knock that I had after seeing him play his first preseason game um, is that he's got a big body, but still doesn't you know doesn't win as many aerial balls as you'd like to see him win. There were more than a few times in this game where he kind of misread a ball in the air and, and let an attacker get to it instead of winning it himself. And that to me is is the big concern with Henry Kessler. I know you know beating a dead horse here, but we've talked a lot about how, uh, you know, guys strong in the air next to Andrew Farrell would be great for Andrew Farrell. Um, and again, I think Henry Kessel had a, a very good performance for a rookie making his debut, but the one area that looked weak to me was his ability to win the ball in the air and a guy with his body and, and his height, um, you'd expect to be better at that. And, you know, maybe that'll come with more playing time, but you know, to me, it seems like his, his reading the ball in the air was off in this game and was kind of off in some of the preseason games I saw him as well. So um, if there's, you know, there's a lot of positives to take away from this game, but that's the one negative and maybe something he needs to work on going forward. Yeah. And again, first game, so I don't want to draw too much from him, but I, I thought he played really, really well for a rookie. He seemed pretty solid. Um, Montreal did really test him with the long balls and there were some plays where he kind of got in, in behind him. But, um, you know, Dewan Jones was on the left and Kessler was also kind of responsible for pinching over and cutting out some runs uh, whenever Dewan Jones was upfield or when an attacker got by him and Kessler did a pretty solid job. I think there was only one or two runs where um, Kessler, the, the attackers got uh, the better at Kessler. So overall, I'm really encouraged by him and 
Um, I, I think he's going to get another start next week. Uh, we'll we'll get some Mancian questions in, in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, overall, a promising first game uh, for the rookie. Um, we do have one more person to talk about and arguably the worst player on the team for the Revs. Uh, Matt Turner, not his best game. Um, he did have one really amazing save that probably should have gone in, uh, but he did have the massive error on the Max Arruti goal uh, that was volleyed over his head where he seemed to be caught in no man's land. Um, I don't really, there's not a whole lot of questions here to talk about. It was just a really rough game for Matt Turner. Sean, are you a little concerned that maybe he's a one-year wonder? No, I mean, stuff like that happens. It's unfortunate. You know, we, we know Matt Turner is still a guy that, hasn't been playing goalkeeper as long as most goalkeepers his age. Um, but that's a play he's got to do better on. There's no question about it. Uh, with that said, he did have some nice saves. He also, you know, perhaps got lucky a few times where there are, you know, situations where guys probably should have scored on Montreal and shot right at him. Um, not his fault that he was put in those situations. There were some defensive errors. Again, I think, you know, one or two from Kessler where he got beat in the air um, that led to those chances. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't raise the, the panic flag yet from one bad game for Matt Turner, but, um, you know, we saw last year, he had a really bad preseason last year and, um, led to Brad Friedel benching him going into the season. Um, and goalkeepers are all about confidence. So if this happens, you know, in another game, then it's time to start getting concerned that maybe his confidence is down for whatever reason. And, uh, they need to find a way to pick that back up. But after one game, I wouldn't be concerned yet, but no, I certainly agree. It wasn't a good performance for Matt Turner. And there was one other play that I want to bring up, too, that Matt Turner, it should have been a goal. Uh, it was around the 56th minute where a ball is kind of long ball over the top, bounces between Dewan Jones and Matt Turner. It looks like Turner's expecting the ball to bounce into the box, and it doesn't, and he kind of gets caught in no man's land, and the ball just ends up falling between them. The ball's loose, Turner's out of net, and Dewan Jones is able to kind of recover uh, kind of forth. I think it was a Rudy. I'm not sure. Um, but basically kind of stall the play enough and take the ball away to prevent a shot from being taken. But, um, you know, if Dewan Jones was not there and kind of had a quick recovery, uh, Montreal would have scored their second goal a lot sooner. So, um, yeah, Matt Turner, uh, I'm not totally sure what it was. I'm glad he's okay. I'm glad it looked like he had a bit of a knee injury there. But, um, yeah, that that volley goal, he was just out in the middle of nowhere. And, um, you know, he's 25. He's he's been a pro for – Four or five years, you hope to see that stuff kind of stop. But um, Sean, let's get into Bruce's subs. We questioned uh, Bruce Arena's lineup earlier today. Uh, we kind of already talked about Zahibo for Caldwell. Um, David Sibillian asks us, was the Zahibo halftime sub planned, um, or do we think it was a adjustment made after seeing Caldwell and Fagundes play in the first half? I don't think it was planned. I think if, if Caldwell and Fagundes were playing well together, I don't think you see a halftime substitution like that. Um, I think it was a correction for a mistake in lineup choices. Um, and, I, you know, as we talked about earlier, I think for the most part it, it worked out. Yeah, and Powder Hungry also asked about Wilfred Zahibo. Was Big Wolf actually good today? And I, I've already kind of covered that. I think Zahibo was one of the more effective players on the team. Uh, and, and we expect to see him in the lineup going forward. Uh, the second sub, we have a lot of questions about. And this might be Bruce Arena's uh, big mistake of the day. But Michael Mancien in for Teal Bunbury, the lone goal scorer in the game. Uh, Any Revs UK asked, what was Bruce thinking change, changing to five in the back uh, with a 1-1 game with 30 minutes to play? Yeah, I have no idea. It was one of those 
you know, changes where it seems like they're playing for the draw at that point. Um, and as we've seen time and time again, the revolution personnel on defense just isn't good enough to play for a draw in a situation like this. Um, and, you know, again, this was a, a Montreal team that had some injuries and that doesn't look all the necessarily that great. Um, they were coming off a Champions League or champion. Yeah, they're coming off a CONCACAF Champions League game not that long ago and had some tired legs. And you'd think if you were the revolution, you'd want to kind of want to go for it at that point and, and press hard to, you know, perhaps catch some guys that were tired from from playing so many minutes in Champions League. Um, so I don't know what Bruce Arena was thinking. Um, it almost struck me as like one of those moves you'd see in uh, late career Steve Nichol coaching to where he's kind of playing hesitancy and playing for the draw. Um, it was it was a surprise to me that that was a move you'd go with. If anything, you know, maybe you take off Fagundes if he wasn't having that great of a game and put Kellen Rowe on if you had any confidence in Kellen Rowe. Um, but I, I don't know why you switched to five at the back given how this game was playing out. And um, I didn't think Mancien did, looked good at all when he came on. Yeah, I, I don't really understand. When he came on, my initial thought was they were going to push up Jones and they didn't really want Jones. You know, they maybe move Kessler out a little bit wider to the left and let Dewan Jones basically be an attacker and, and really use his speed late in the game. But they really didn't. Dewan Jones was didn't really push up any further than he already was. So, yeah, they, they it looks like they were just kind of bunkering in the back, which I'm not totally sure why they did. Teal Bunbury didn't look hurt. Um, you, you're right. They could have put in Kellen Rowe. They could have put in Tay on there or Justin Rennex, and they, they ended up opting for Mancy Um The only thing that really makes sense to me is that he really didn't trust Farrell and Kessler to close this game out. Um, he kind of figured that Montreal would keep you know, knocking long balls over the top, and they want a little bit more veteran leadership back there. But um, it, it just seemed like a bit of a waste of a player. And I, I didn't think the back line was doing too horribly that they needed a third center back to, to shore it up. So I, I, I was a little confused at that. I, I guess he was just playing for the point and trying to go ultra conservative. But um, the, the point of the, the question that I want to highlight there is with half an hour to play, that sub came in. Hang on one second. I don't have the right. I think it was uh, the 65th minute. 65th minute. Yeah. So 25 minutes to go. Um, just seemed like a lot of time. If that sub is made with 10 minutes left, I get it. 66 minutes. Yeah. If, if that sub comes with 10 minutes to go, I get it a little bit more. At that point in the game, you're playing for a draw where I thought they were right in that game. I thought they could have easily taken three points out of it. So I was pretty shocked at that sub. Yeah, no, it, there's, it was a nonsensical sub to me. I, I just don't get it. And in general, I'm not a fan of going defensive in a game like this where you're tied and you know there's that many minutes to go no matter who it is but it, this is not a particularly great montreal team and it's not a particularly well-rested montreal team um so i you know if again if you're right if the logic was let's get dewan jones pushed forward more then maybe there's some logic to it um but i don't think that ended up really being the effect and then dewan jones ended up coming off uh 17 minutes later they did have the Zahibo goal that was waved off in the 74th minute. So I guess they still had some offensive momentum. You know, they they did almost take the lead back after the Mancian sub, but that was on a set piece. They really, the offense really seemed to stall out and putting in Mancian just seemed to further that, um, that effect. Uh, we did get a couple of comments. MJ said, still can't wrap my head around the Mancian signing. You'd be better off with a road cone out there. Uh, Adam McLean said, why put in Mance at all? Uh, and Chris Velucas said, I'd love to hear your thoughts on why Mancian came into the game at all. Two came in at that time and three still gets paid. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously I think there's a lot of anti, uh, Michael Mancian, uh, how do I say it? Feelings uh, around the revolution fan base. Obviously he, he really hasn't panned out. Um, 
And I think we talked about the Michael Mancien signing back in December. Uh, you know, last year we had, why did the Revs re-sign Juan Agadello? I think this year it might be, why did the Revs re-sign Michael Mancien? Um, you know, I, I just don't really understand what his role is on this team. And um, yeah, he, he just didn't seem effective whatsoever in this game yesterday. So all these questions and comments, I can't really blame them. They're harsh. But I, I think they're fair. Right. So. I think they're preaching to the choir with, with those, those leading questions. I, 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 yeah, there's, there's, we are just as confused as you guys. But um, you know, first, on the on the question of uh, will Michael Mancian be the why did they resign Juan Aguadello of this year? I think there's a few candidates for that one. It could be Mancian. It could be Kellen Rowe as well. And it, based on what we saw in preseason, it might be Sasanovic too. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, we'll go into that another day. Let's give. We'll go a little more after one game uh, before we we uh, start slaughtering all the signings, but. Um, one more sub we want to, I want to briefly touch on Tayon Buchanan in for Dewan Jones, obviously just taking off a defender, uh, for an offensive player. But what I thought was interesting was that Tayon came on instead of Kellen Rowe, instead of Justin Rennox. Do you think this is a, a good sign for Tayon Buchanan who only made one appearance last year on a Bruce arena for one minute? Uh, do you, do you think this is a good sign for Tayon? You think we'll see more of him? Yeah, I know. I had the same thoughts as you. I was kind of surprised it was him instead of Rennox or, or, or Rowe. Um, and then Buchanan came on and was a spark, a little bit of a spark. Um, but he, he had the, the chance of the game with a gapping net and, you know, being about a couple of feet out from goal with a, perfectly paced cross from from Brandon by that you described and they banged it off the post um, when I think it would have been easier to put it in the net uh, so I don't know what that does to his confidence and I don't know what that does to whether or not Bruce Arena plays him more but um, yeah Bruce Arena didn't seem to be a fan of his last year based on how limited his minutes were when Bruce Arena took over um, he was kind of a, a regular substitute for Brad Friedel and looked promising and then disappeared off the map when when Bruce Arena took over um I don't know that he did enough in this game to earn more minutes, but yeah, sure. It was, it was promising for him to get the minutes, but, um, missing that chance and then knowing that this was his opportunity with Carly's heel being out, um, and given the, the circumstances of, you know, what minute they were in and, and trailing, um, and who their other options were, I don't know that this is necessarily a sign that we're going to see a lot of Buchanan this year. And, uh, if you put that goal away, maybe he would have been in a better position to do so. But, um, you know, once Carly's heel is healthy, I think Buchanan's still buried in the depth chart. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there, and I'm curious to see if that missed header comes back to bite him. It was a great run. He was in great position. Um, everything about that play was great from Buchanan except for the head, header. So, um, yeah, I, I wonder if Bruce is going to hold that against him uh, and if maybe he goes with Justin Rennox next time um, or if they give Dayon begin another chance. But I was very surprised to see him be the first one off of the bench after really not getting any minutes in the second half of the season last year. Um, let's hop into some listener questions. David Sibillian asks us, should we start a parody derby for every game? And who really does have the better syrup? Sean? <laughs> you know, I think we got to limit the the parody derbies to the teams that are actually sort of ish regional ish rivals. But um, I would I would stick with that. And who has the battle maple syrup? Well, I am from New England and I love Vermont maple syrup. So I got to go with New England. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a little biased, I guess, since uh, my mother is from Montreal. So I am half Canadian, uh, but I'm, I'm going to rule in favor of New England. I, I, I think we uh, take the cake on this one. Um, but I don't think we should start a derby for every game because right now we're 0-1 in parody derbies. So <laughs> Good point. I don't want to <laughs> uh, get too, too far ahead on this one. But uh, Sean, Revolution Reporter says, why they let Montreal have so much of the ball seems counterproductive when the strength of the team is the attack and the weakness is the defense. Uh, uh, he also says Montreal's center backs were a 38-year-old Canadian Premier League player and an 18-year-old in his second professional game. Uh, the Revs did have 42.6% possession of this game. Are you surprised the Revs were uh, as conservative and counterattacking as they were? 
No, and I, I kind of touched on this in my opening point, and that's because you know you had an attack that was led by guys that aren't really great players in possession. Christian Pania is a guy that's great on a counterattack and running at guys. Uh, Teal Bunbury is, is a guy that can be good on counterattack and running at guys. Neither of those are guys that are great in possession. Um, and I'm not sure Gustavo Bo, to be honest, is a, is a guy that thrives in a possession style. Um, when Carles Hill is out there and can, kind of controlling the attack, um, then I would expect the Revolution to play that way. He's a guy that's kind of plays the facilitator and gets the attack going. Um, but otherwise, I don't think this was a team that's built to play that way. Um, when Carlos Hill is not in the field, there's just nobody else like that. Um, you know, maybe part of the thought process was Diego Fagundes to kind of be that facilitator. Um, you know, as we discussed earlier, I don't think he did well enough at that. And Scott Caldwell is another guy that can kind of help keep possession, but I don't think he did well enough at that. This game, he just wasn't involved enough. Um, so, you know, I think given the personnel options they had out there, um, it's not too surprising that they went out on the road and kind of played a counterattacking style, um, knowing that their best chances in attack were, were likely counterattacks that featured, you know, Pania, Bunbury, or, or, or Gustavo Bo, um, none of whom I see as that kind of facilitator to keep possession in the way that Carles Heel is. Um, but I completely get the point. I do think that this was a Montreal team that, um, you know, it's kind of playing a makeshift back line and you know, some aging veterans, some really young guys. And again, coming off of a you know, midweek Champions League game, um, they should have been ripe for the picking. Uh, but the Revolution just didn't have the personnel for it, I, I think, to pull off the kind of attack that they needed to to keep possession and, and be threatening in that way. Kind of leading into the next question, too, your answer did. Uh, Powder Hungry on Twitter says, how necessary is Heal to the success of this team? What is the difference in the end-of-season record if Heal is not to play a single game? Uh, I mean, again, don't want to pull out the jump to conclusions, Matt, after one game, but is this even a playoff team with Carlos Heal not on it? If Carlos Heal was out the entire season, I don't think it's a playoff team. Um, Gustavo Bo is a very talented player. Um, Adam Buxa could be a very talented player, you know, based on his, his career and his history. I think he could be really good for the revolution. Um, but both of those are guys that I think benefit from Carlos Heal running the offense. And I don't think there's any other player on this team that's capable of it. Again, you know, we talked about Bo kind of in that role. And um, set piece wise, I thought he did a great job of spelling Carlos, Carlos Heal and, and what he did there. I don't think they missed Carlos Heal as much in set pieces, at least not in the, the indirect variety with crosses. I thought Bo did very well with that. Um, but, you know, Carlos Heal is great at facilitating attacks from the run of play. Um, and if they're missing him, I think their attack is just way too predictable. I think they kind of have to focus on counterattacks. And, um, you know, that that works in some cases, but it doesn't always work. So, you know, if, if Carlos Heal is out, I think the Revolution are going to struggle for, you know, the last seed in the playoffs. Um, and if Carlos Heal is, is healthy, I think this is a Revolution team that, assuming the defense can find a way to hold its own, um, is capable of challenging for, you know, a top three or top four seed. So I, I think he makes a, a very huge difference in the, you know, Revs projections and uh, as far as win totals and as far as playoff seeding um, and even making the playoffs. Uh, we do have another, a couple questions uh, about the Teal-Bunbury substitution. Uh, Randy LH says, why sub off Teal? He looked like our best attacking player on the day to me. We talked about Mancien uh, going on, but we didn't really talk about Teal and his effect in this game. Um, also, Charles Maddox asks us, did anyone notice Teal playing in the space in the channels? He looked a lot more comfortable in that area of the field. Um, so, Sean, what, what are your thoughts about Teal playing on that left side uh, and I mean, I think we already talked about 
them regretting that substitution. Um, I guess we want to drive that point home. I, I should have moved this question up in the in the agenda. But uh, yeah, thoughts on Teal playing on that left side and playing in the space? Yeah, I thought he, I thought he looked pretty good um, in that role. And you know, again, it also adds to the you know why make that Michael Mancian sub? He was having a good game. He you know you know Teal is a streaky player. When he scores one goal, there are often more to follow. Um, so yeah, it was surprising. Uh, with that said, I thought he looked good on the left, but. Um, again, going back to a point I made earlier, I think if you know Adam Book says you're your striker and he's a guy that's good in the air, um, that having two inverted wingers doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense long term because you know yes, both of those guys somehow managed to have a, a good cross with their weaker foot in this game, um, but I don't again unless something has changed tremendously in this offseason um, and both of these players have become more two-footed and, and better at crossing with their weaker foot. Uh, I'm not sure it makes a whole lot of sense to do that um, you know, long-term in a lot of games and kind of take away Adam Books's, uh strength, which is, again, being in the air when, when those two guys aren't going to be crossing very much with their weaker foots if they're playing as inverted wingers. One thing that kind of bugged me too, going back to the question of why sub off Teal, um, and, and he did seem pretty effective, but are you kind of surprised they subbed off Teal instead of Christian Pena? Because Christian Pena, as talented as, as, as he is, um, you know, I have questions if he's a 90-minute player, whereas I think Teal Bunbury is more of a well-rounded player that's going to give you a, a solid 90 minutes. Even if he doesn't score, even if he misses some chances, he does a, a little bit more than Christian Pena, who really is just a guy that's good at taking on players one and one, and apparently he's pretty decent at crosses. Uh, were, you, were you surprised to see Teal come off instead of Christian Pena or someone else, maybe Diego Fagundes? Yeah, no, I was I was surprised that he was the guy that that was subbed off because he was having a pretty decent game and um he's also known more for his defensive work rate than uh, a Christian Pena as well, which is another aspect that you know if you're kind of trying to go a little bit more defensive and conserve consolidate and hold on to that 1-1 draw, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. So I know I would agree that it's kind of a an odd choice that Bunbury was the guy to come off and and not Pena or or not Fagundes uh, unless the intent was to have Dewan Jones push further forward. Um, which, you know, I don't, I'm not sure, like, like you said, that we saw that much of. Uh, we do have some questions about bringing in some new players already. <laughs> Quite Rev says, what players would you bring in, say, around MLS to help fix this team? Uh, and TSB11 says, over under five weeks before the Revs sign someone to fix central midfield slash center backs. Uh, we, Seth and I talked about uh, Samba Kamara, the signing falling through, uh, and they basically have a roster spot to fill. Um, can't imagine Bruce Arena sits on it too much, especially if there's some issues in central midfield, center back. Um, anyone around MLS that you think might be a good fit for the reps? You know, I think they really need a dominant central midfielder. And to actually get that within the league, you're probably giving up more assets than the Revolution will be willing to give up, um, which is kind of the difficulty there. That That's a particular position that I think is very hard to fill um, from within MLS because those are guys that are you know, very valuable players. And I don't know what you trade to, to make that happen um, without kind of giving away the farm. Um, with, with, with that said, I think center back, if that proves to be a weakness, and I'm not sure that was in this game, is something that's easier to go after. We saw, you know, Walker Zimmerman get traded right before the season for, um, a decent haul, but not overall that much money. And he was a guy that I think could have helped the revolution. Um, that's maybe a position where you, you could find a guy to, to fill in, um, you know, and fullback, there were some op- options in free agency that the Revolution didn't sign and couldn't sign because they went out and got Sinovic, who hasn't looked very good, and they got Callan Rowe, who hasn't looked very good, um, reaching their, their two-player cap, which um, won't apply in the future based on the new CBA, fortunately, for the Revolution. But uh, this season, I think that came back to hurt them a little bit. Um, so, you know, I don't think central midfield is a position that you solve within MLS, and I do think that's the position that the Revolution really need to, to get somebody for. 
really quick, do you expect to see anyone come in the rev sign anyone before the first transfer window closes? I don't think so. And if they do, I don't think it's going to be a, an impact player, maybe a depth piece at center back or something. Um, it's at this point in the season, there aren't that many guys out there uh, that are, you know, teams are willing to part with given, you know, transfer windows elsewhere are closed. Um, and so it's kind of finding a free agent somewhere to, to sign. And I don't think there's that many guys out there that could be impact signings at this point. Uh, so I think the revs probably aren't going to make um, a game changing signing until perhaps this summer. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, and, and no one in MLS is going to sell in March or April. Uh, so I think they might have to wait until the summer window, see where the standings kind of shake out uh, before going out and buying someone who's going to make a huge impact, especially someone in the central midfield. Um, I'm not really sure who that is, who would be available right off the bat uh, in the central midfield to kind of fix the issues. But, um, and again, it's one game. Maybe Carly Seal comes back and the central midfield is a little bit more efficient, uh, a little bit more, um, you know, flowing. Uh, I, I'm, and I think we need to give Kessler a little bit of time at center back uh, before hopping into the uh, we need to go upgrade immediately. So um, we'll, we'll learn a lot more about this team come Saturday against Chicago. Uh, Paul Gerard asks us, why shouldn't I bet on MLS once it's legal in Massachusetts? Uh, and from personal experience, Paul, I can say it's basically like lighting money on fire. Um, I've done pretty decent with it uh, over the years, but I got to tell you, draws are your best friend and rooting for draws are not a lot of fun. It kind of takes the whole fun of betting, uh, takes a lot of the fun out of betting. So, uh, Sean, I know you're not much of a gambler. Uh, any advice for Paul? No, I think that was a question uh, destined for you, but I would I would agree in my experience that MLS is not a very predictable league, even in the games where you think um, there's a very, very clear-cut favorite and the odds sh- to support that. Betting heavily on a clear-cut favorite in MLS seems like a bad idea to me because there is, even with you know the DP and parity not being what it used to be there still is a lot of parity in mls um and you know if if i was to give advice uh for mls betting it always seems like a bad idea to ever bet on a road team even when it's a heavy favorite yeah and i do remember a few years ago when the revs opened in philadelphia um you came down for the game and i was telling you that i was losing my shirt uh betting mls in week one and you told me that betting MLS in week one is probably the dumbest thing you can do because everything's so random in the first week. Uh, and, and I, I've learned that lesson very well. I kept it to a very small minimum of only two or three bets this week. Uh, <laughs> and I still got screwed. I had two, two exact score. So uh, I guess I, I can bill Tay on Buchanan for that one. But um, I will say the other thing too, is that uh, I learned very early into my gambling career that a game that you have no rooting interest in is infinitely more exciting if you bet a dollar on it. If you have a rooting interest in the game, it is more, more, more way more excited. So if you are going to gamble uh, on MLS, I would say uh, bet responsibly, go very small increments uh, as you're you're learning the curve. And um, yeah, as I say, if, if you're looking, if you're watching a LA Galaxy game at you know 11 o'clock at night, just bet a dollar on it, and you you auto, automatically become more of a fan. Uh, so don't bet the don't don't bet the house all at once. Um, some other news real quick, uh, Damian Rivera and Justin Renex both on the bench. Uh, I think that's a pretty big sign of confidence for Damian Rivera. I don't expect him to be 
in the 18 once the uh you know Luis Caicedo and and Carly Seal come back uh but are we shocked to see him in the the 18 Sean and, and Justin Rennox too give me your thoughts on those two yeah I think Rivera had a you know strong preseason scoring a few goals that probably boosted him up in Bruce Arena's book and given the injuries that they had and you know the lack of options um it made sense to have Damian Rivera there um it was kind of nice to see Bruce Arena kind of find a, a bench that had a few attacking players on it um and Rivera being one of them of course yeah part, part of that was because I think the lack of defensive options due to injuries um but you know it's a good sign for those two players we didn't see much of Renix under Bruce Arena um you know Rivera being the the home new homegrown signing I think there's a lot of promise there um and you know he's a guy that based on his preseason at at 17 years old um if he keeps playing well and I think he'll probably see some minutes for Revs too or on loan somewhere to to see some action um there's a potential that we could see him in the 18 more often this season but you know once once Carly's heel is back uh, you know he's another guy that just based on on numbers is probably buried in the, in the depth chart um but no absolutely a sign of confidence that they go on the road in the first game and, and Damian Rivera is there I'll, real quick, uh, I kind of gave an over-under of 45 to 50 minutes for Rivera uh, with Revs 1 this season. Um, I automatically am feeling this is a cold take just from the fact that he's in the 18. Obviously, Bruce Arena thinks pretty highly of him. Um, do you agree? Do you think my 45-minute guess uh, guesstimate on uh, total minutes played for Damian Rivera is way too low? Um, it's hard to say. I, I think at this point that the fact that he was in this 18 would imply that probably not, um, that, that it is probably too low that he might get more than that. But, um, it all depends on health. If the revolution get healthy and Carly's heels available and Christian Pania stays healthy and, uh, you know, Gustavo Bo stays healthy, um, and Teal Bunbury stays healthy. I'm just not sure where those minutes come from. Um, you know, it's, it's a revolution team that in the positions Rivera plays is very deep. Um, if he was a defender, um, you know, given the, his talent and the way he showed in preseason, you might, might be a different story. Or if he was a, you know, defensive central midfielder, um, there might be more opportunity there, but, um, yeah, it, it's a v- very huge positive for him that he was in the 18 and opening day. Um, but a lot of that is due to injuries. And some other news around the league that just happened uh, right before we came on the podcast. Joseph Martinez tore his ACL in the season opener at Nashville. So the Revs didn't have the worst week. I think Atlanta United, even though they uh, started with uh, three points, uh, I, I think you can certainly say they had a very tough weekend. Uh, Sean, how does this change the Eastern Conference in MLS? Look, I think Atlanta is one of the top one or two teams in the Eastern Conference and uh, kind of the class of the conference I was just seeing over the past couple of years. Um, and Joseph Martinez being out really, really hurts that team. You know, they lost Julian Gressel in the offseason too. Um, so if, you, if you're missing a Joseph Martinez uh, for the entire season, which is presumably the case with an ACL tear, um, I think that gives the Revolution an opportunity to finish ahead of them in the standings. Um, again, assuming the Revolution stay healthy and Carlos Hill is back there, um, that's a big blow that really shakes up the Eastern Conference and kind of leaves it wide open and um, makes the chances of the Revolution getting a high seed and making a run of the playoffs um, more realistic, I would say. It's it's unfortunate to ever see a player of Joseph Martinez's quality go down like that, and you know you hate to see it, and he's a guy that's really fun to watch in this league. Um, so it's, it's disappointing, but it, it does open up kind of an opportunity for the Revolution to perhaps finish higher than you would have expected them to otherwise. Yeah, you never really want to see a, a star player go down with injury, um, and, and you kind of feel bad saying that the Revs might benefit from uh, injury, uh, but yeah, what a what a massive blow for Atlanta and 
you know, I, I think the East is wide open this year. I know we're projecting the Revs to, to finish with a four seed and, um, you know, kind of be in, in that pack somewhere. But they're really, I, I don't think with Joseph Martinez out, is a dominant team uh, in the Eastern Conference. I guess some people are projecting New York City FC, but it, it's really wide open. So, I'm, you know, the Revs uh, obviously starting off on the wrong foot, but uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting season wide open in the Eastern Conference. Um, Sean, do you have any final thoughts? And, and I'll also, uh, we did bold predictions last episode. I don't know if you have any bold predictions. I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but uh, any final thoughts or bold predictions for the season? I mean, I think some of my bold predictions were probably taken away by the the lineup choices in the first game of the season. Um, you know, I, I was pretty high on Kessler going into the offseason and with injuries, it, I, I think he could be the starter every day going through the entire season and end up being a you know strong rookie of the year candidate. Um, but you know, other than that, you know, if, if Carlos heel doesn't stay healthy for you know the majority of the season, my my prediction, which maybe won't be that bold, is, is that the Revolution don't make the playoffs. Yeah, and we kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. I, I, I don't. I think that would have been a little bit more bold before this Montreal game because I think a lot of people going into uh, the the Montreal game expected three points or at least expected expected a draw. And I actually tweeted this out. I don't know. Speaking about gambling, um, the odds went way in the Revs' favor uh, a day before kickoff. They start around plus two fifty and they shrunk down to about plus one sixty. So basically, your payout was if you bet a hundred dollars, your payout was ninety dollars less. That's basically what that means. So, and that's pretty unheard of unless there's an injury announced or some big news that happened in the last twenty four hours. So I think gamblers kind of saw that line and expected the Revs to put up a good fight, which they did. But um, you know, a win was not unheard of in this game. Uh, and I think seeing the Revs without Carly's heel, uh, a lot of people didn't didn't realize how much of an impact he has on this team. So um, I don't really have any final thoughts here either. So we'll just hop into uh, Twitter handles. Sean, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Sean L. Donahue. And you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap and like our Revolution Recap page on Facebook. Please also leave us a review on iTunes tunes or wherever you're listening the Revs play their first home game of the season next saturday afternoon as they host the chicago fire as we mentioned we'll be back with a new episode recapping that match but until then thank you everyone for listening and go revs